studio at our office in Athens, Georgia at Rick Bonson Ministries. But what you're seeing behind me is an aerial view of the Sea of Galilee, starting in the city of Tiberias, going up to the North Shore and circling around the whole Sea of Galilee. Uh, if you haven't been there, um, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> hope, hope we can go. Yeah, I feel sorry for you. John's laughing at me. All right, we are going to get into John 21, Jesus' restoration of Peter, which happened here at the Sea of Galilee on the north shore. It's a place that we go to um, every time we go to Israel. The location is called Peter's Primacy or called Tapga. And it's just a, a little beach on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. But it's one of the places where I always feel the presence of God. And if you go to Israel with Pastor Jeff Belmer, he'll tell you earthquakes change everything. <laughs> and there have been so many earthquakes in Israel. That's one of the reasons it's hard to know exactly where something happened because things have shifted so much that the sea is not located quite where it was in Jesus' day. It has shifted and moved. It has also shrunk. Um, so earthquakes change everything. <laughs> so when we stand on that beach on the, of rock, and it isn't sand, it's, it's, it's volcanic rock is what the beach is made of, on the north shore, that may not be the exact beach where these events took place, but it might be. <laughs> you never know. And you just feel a sense of the simplicity, the beauty of the Galilee and of Jesus' loving interaction with his disciples, especially Peter, when you're in that place. So um, I'm going to start in John chapter 21 with verse 12. Jesus said to them, meaning the disciples that had the seven disciples that were there at the Sea of Galilee, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So just to give that context, the first manifestation happened in, um, in chapter 20, verse 19, where they were... In the upper room, it says, When it was therefore evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. He walked right through the door in his glorified, resurrected body. The second manifestation is verse 1 of chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. And that's, um, that's what Rick taught on yesterday about how he instructed them to cast their net. After fishing all night and catching nothing in the Sea of Galilee, they were expert fishermen. Why, why couldn't they fish? And what did Jesus know about fishing? He was a carpenter. <laughs> but by the Holy Spirit, he said, cast it on the other side. And they caught 153 fish. Um, then, so we just read, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, let's turn over to Mark 16, verse 7. It says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. Rick told us yesterday, this is the Holy Spirit telling an angel 
to tell the women at the empty tomb, to tell the disciples and especially Peter. Why is Jesus saying, I'm going to meet with Peter in the Galilee? Tell Peter, we're going to have an encounter. Because Jesus knew Peter's need. Jesus knew Peter's state of mind. He knew his distress and his agony after all the events that had happened and Peter's own failure <coughs> to stand by Jesus through everything that had just happened in the arrest and the crucifixion. He knew Peter's need. So Jesus had this all pre-planned. So he had the angel tell the women to tell the disciples, and Peter, I'm going to meet with you, Peter. Um, <coughs> so in Mark 14:29, you may recall, Peter had been the one out of all the disciples, good old Peter, we're thankful for him, aren't we? In Mark 29, uh, 14, 29, he'd been the one to say, but Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Peter here was basically claiming to love Jesus more than all the others, would you say? But now he has proven that his love for Jesus failed when he denied him. And now Peter is in great need. So in this story that we're going to finish today in John 21, we see Jesus' heart. Why he told the angel to tell Mary, to tell the disciples, and Peter, I need to meet with you, Peter. Because Jesus has a heart for those who are broken and, and feeling like they have messed up so badly they have no future. We see Jesus' heart, how he brings restoration to us at our times of greatest need. And most assuredly, Peter is at his time of greatest need here. So I'm going to finish the, the account here in John um, 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, the breakfast that Jesus had cooked for them, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and when I'm there at Tabga, or Peter's primacy, what I just see Jesus doing is saying, okay, we've all eaten together, we've fellowshiped. Now, Peter, let's go for a walk. And just sort of go for a walk on that, that beach of volcanic rock and go find a rock to sit on and just sit there and just imagine that discourse between Jesus and Peter. It just becomes so vividly real to me when I'm, when I'm there. So Jesus said to Simon Peter, let's go for a walk. And as they walked, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Let's look deeper into this intimate exchange between Jesus and Peter on this beach at the Sea of Galilee. Peter had done a terrible thing, hadn't he? He had denied the Lord. He had let Jesus down. I think all of us have had a Peter moment <laughs> like this. You know, we're going along in life. Something bad happens. 
and we can lose faith very quickly and we can draw conclusions. Oh, I've let God down. He's so disappointed in me. He'll never use me again. That's where, that's where Peter was. Peter had been with the Lord for three and a half years. He had seen all of the miracles. He was in the, the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Sometimes Jesus left the other nine disciples out, but he would bring Peter, James, and John in to see things that others didn't witness. He was one of the three that saw the transfiguration. So here's Peter, as we just read in Mark, Lord, I'm your man. You can count on me. And everybody else might let you down, but I'm, I'm with you to the end. Yeah. Then Jesus is arrested. And Peter is in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And a little slave girl says, hey, weren't you with him? And he's, I don't know that man. I never saw him. He's, it, the Bible says he even swore. He may have called Jesus a bad name for all we know. He just... No, I, I don't blankety blank blank blank, you know. Um, three times. No, I tell you, I'm telling you the truth. I never saw that man, that blankety blank. Three times Peter did this. <laughs> Another question I ask sometimes when I'm there at Peter's primacy on the Sea of Galilee and remembering this is, Lord, why did you call somebody like Peter? <laughs> why did you bring him into the inner circle? Why did he get to experience so much? But, you know, why, why not someone more stable, not so impetuous, someone who would know how to handle a crisis, um, someone more spiritual? But then the next thought that comes to me is, thank you, God, for calling someone like Peter. That means you can call me. <laughs> If you can bring Peter into intimate relationship with you, that means I can also have that with you in spite of my many mistakes and faults and weaknesses. Amen? Amen. So, but at that night of Jesus' arrest, when he denied the Lord three times, he knew instantly, I have, <laughs> I have blown it. And his world fell apart. He's angry. Things didn't turn out. He felt disqualified. I think, John, I have John 14:12. This is something Jesus said to his disciples when he was having the last Passover Seder with them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Okay, so Jesus promises the disciples there in the upper room at the last Passover you're going to do the works I do. He commissions them with a ministry. The same Holy Spirit who worked through me to do all these signs and miracles is going to work through you. But now Peter's state of mind is, that can't possibly be true for me anymore. <laughs> God's not going to use me. The Holy Spirit won't work through me like he worked through Jesus. I have disqualified myself. That's why he said, I'm going back fishing. I'm just going to go back to what I used to do because obviously... I can't have a, the Lord's ministry anymore. Um, and that's what that represents. When Peter says, I'm going back fishing, we, we are tempted when we fail, when we feel like we failed God to just go back to the past, to something we did before. Condemnation is all about the past. So, um, and, and, you know, we all have stuff and we try to deal with it. But we cannot fix ourselves by our own power and methods. 
You know, as Rick taught yesterday, these men were called to be fishers of men. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus caused them to catch 153 fish just to show them that his power was present for them to do what he had commissioned them to do. But Peter thinks, eh, not me. Not me. That doesn't include me anymore. So here comes Jesus. He appears on the beach. He's the one that's been let down, right? He's the one that's been betrayed. Have you ever been let down by someone? Have you ever felt you trusted someone and then they just turned on you? They betrayed you? They hurt you? That's Jesus. He's been betrayed. But does Jesus come to point a finger in Peter's face? Does he come to say, I need you to account for what you did? Jesus is here not to condemn. Peter's already doing a good enough job of that himself. He's come to restore. When Jesus shows up on the beach, in your house, in your car, he always comes to bring you good news, not bad news. He knows exactly how Peter feels about himself. When things go bad, when we make a mistake, we think, oh, God's left me, I'm no good, everything's ruined, there's no hope now. All those negative thoughts, you know, just just barrage. Satan is very quick to come and just pound on our heads and accuse, right? But look at the... You, you have to, we have to, I'm preaching to myself right now, we have to discern between the voice of Jesus and the voice of the accuser because the voice of the accuser is never Jesus. It is never God. The accuser of the brethren is Satan. The restorer, the redeemer, the healer, the forgiver is Jesus. And we have to discern and never think God is speaking to us when we're hearing the voice of accusation. Look at Jesus' countenance. Look at his actions. He shows up on the beach. When he calls out to them, in verse 5, he says, Children, do you have any fish? He calls them children. He's not there in a scolding tone. He's not there, I have to deal with you guys. Where were you in my hour of need? He says, children. He recognizes that they, um, they have a need, that they have a problem, that they're worn out. Verse 6 when he told them to cast the net on the right side of the boat, they cast and they could not haul it in because of the great number, great number of fish. When Jesus comes and you just move an inch toward him, something marvelous can happen. He just shows up and you just, instead of running away or resisting him, you move an inch to just respond to him. Something great can begin to happen. That's the beginning of your healing. If you move an inch, he'll move a mile towards you to close that breach, that's that chasm that you feel between yourself and God. Move an inch, he'll move a mile, and he'll close that chasm. And I can testify how many times he's done that for me. He's doing it even these days when I feel a chasm and I begin to move toward him. He's there. Amen? Then, verse 9 And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire laid and fish placed on it and bread. He fed them. They'd been fishing all night. They were exhausted. They were hungry. Jesus comes to build us back up when we are down, when we are broken down, when we are weak. So Peter thought he had no faith. He thought he'd lost it all. But it really was there all the time. The reality is Peter did love Jesus a lot. 
But the enemy comes and says, look at you. You don't love the Lord. You're so bad. He can't accept you with all your faults. And you begin to believe his lies. But Peter, even though he'd made a horrible mistake, he, he did love. He did love Jesus. God knows our hearts. We can make conclusions about ourselves and just say, well, I wouldn't do such a thing if I was a good Christian or if I had faith or if I really loved the Lord. I must just have a horrible heart. But God knows your heart better than you do. And Peter knew, or Jesus knew Peter's heart. So why? Commentators have all kinds of comments about why Jesus asked Peter this question three times. Do you love me? Some say it's because he denied him three times, so he gave him three chances to say, I love you. But I, I kind of have a different take on it. I believe that Jesus, as he took him for a walk on the beach and had this conversation, he asked him three times because he had to get through Peter's hard head. He had to get through Peter's concept of himself, of, I, I, I must not love the Lord. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I got nothing in me. The call is not for me anymore. The promise, the ministry that Jesus said I do isn't for me anymore. And he was so locked into that that Jesus had to keep at it to get through Peter's state of mind. That's, that's, my, um, that's my take on it. And then you look at the words that were used. You know, in our language, in the English language, there's just love. But in the Greek, there are several words for love. So Jesus uses one word for love, and Peter uses another in the first two questions. Um, Jesus says in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He uses the word agape. Agape is the love that only God possesses because it's perfect love. It is perfect covenant love, love that cannot fail, perfect from heaven. It's as um, Bob Mumford one of my good old dead guys that I love to study, he taught it is a straight arrow kind of love. It doesn't ask anything in return. It just loves because it loves. And that's only the kind of love that God can give. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with this unconditional, unfailing, perfect love? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses a different word. He uses filio. Filio is human love, brotherly love. I love you, you love me, but we fail in our love for one another. I'll let you down, you'll let me down. I might be unkind to you, you might be unkind to me. We have to, it's not the kind of love that never fails. And it usually has a little hook in it like, I'm going to love you because I hope you'll love me back. It's got a little self-interest in it. <clears throat> so Peter says, Lord, you know I love you with this love that isn't adequate. <laughs> Obviously, it isn't adequate because look what I did. <laughs> so then he asked them again in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me with that perfect love that can never fail? The love of covenant that is everlasting and perfect. And again, Peter says, you know that I filio you, you Lord. I have only this weak human love that doesn't cut it. The third time, verse 17, Simon, son of John, then Jesus says, do you filio me? <laughs> He's like saying, Peter, I'll take your love. I know it's not perfect. I know it's only human. Only God can give you agape, perfect love. 
I'll, I'll take your love. It is acceptable to me. God says, I, he knows that we're but dust. He knows we can't manufacture something that only God possesses. It has to be given to us by the Holy Spirit. So he, he comes down to Peter's level and says, do you, filio me? Do you love me the best you can? And then Peter says to him again, Lord, you know all things. You know that I filio you. <laughs> I love you the best I can. So Jesus breaks through. Peter begins to see, because at the end of, of these three um, interactions, Jesus renews Peter's call. You notice that after he asks the question, in verse 15 he says, Tend my lambs. At the end of verse 16 he says, Shepherd my sheep. And the end of 17 he says, Tend my sheep. He renews the call that he had given to Peter. He's saying, I'll take your love. It's good enough for me. I will perfect your love. And by the way, Peter, you don't get to get out of your call. <laughs> you can't wiggle out that easy. Just because you sinned, just because you sinned big, just because you made a big disaster of your life for a short while, doesn't mean I remove my call from your life. And John, would you read us Romans 11:29? For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Amen. Do you have any comments, John? I've been talking a lot. Well, that's one of our favorite verses here at RBM because we just so desperately hang on the truth that it's God's grace and goodness that we get anything done for the kingdom. Amen. And and so if it depended on our merits, <laughs> then uh, we would fail. We would go nowhere. But the calling of God is not dependent upon whether we you know, pass or fail or whatever. It's not a grading scale where you get above 70 and Oof. God, you know, God, God <laughs> continues the call upon your life. And then if you, you know, get below 70, you, you know, he takes it away and gives it to somebody else. Yeah. You know, the, the, the commitment that God has to us is, uh, is that agape love that's one-sided. He, yeah. he chooses to mm. stay committed to us Thank you, Lord. regardless of how many times we fail. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. So Jesus is trying to change Peter's mindset here to get through that condemnation, that sense of just what John is saying. I got too low of a score. I got, he's taken away my call. God says, I called you. I'll justify you. I'll glorify you. I appoint you. I anoint you. It's not taken away. There's nothing has happened to Peter that God can't restore. Nothing has happened to you or to me that God cannot restore. That's, there is no sin he can't forgive. There is no life he can't restore. No one is beyond the reach of his mercy and his goodness, no matter how far you think you've gone. That's not how God looks at it. And that's why this story and this intimate exchange on this little obscure beach on the north shore of Galilee means so much to me because the whole thing just reminds me my mindset about myself and my weaknesses and my sins is not the same way God looks at it. He is, he is eager to have compassion. In fact, he brought me, I'm just going to deviate from the path for a second. This, this past weekend, he brought me to um, Isaiah 30 and just reminded me of this, verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. 
He is longing to restore you and to have compassion on you. So we are the ones that has to decide, are we going to receive that? Are we going to just remain in condemnation and just sit and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no good, I'm, I'm so bad, what's the thing, I'm going to go eat worms and die? Um, are we just going to go back fishing? Just go back to the past? Well, I guess this is all I can do, so I'm just going to go do what I know to do because I don't think I can move on with God now. Or... Will we respond to Jesus showing up on the shore? And see, you know the hint that why Jesus knew that Peter loved him? Because when he saw him from the boat, he threw himself into the sea. He didn't go, oh, there's the Lord. Here, let's paddle on. He, was, he couldn't get to him fast enough. So even though his mind was full of lies and condemnation, his heart compelled him. He threw himself into the sea. <laughs> And Jesus saw that heart. So Jesus is now saying to Peter, I know, Peter, you love me. You have a call. And the prophetic call does not go away even when you're in confusion and you've been rattled. You just have to forgive yourself, forgive the situation, and get on with it. Don't go back to the past. Well, we know that after this, we're going to be moving to the book of Acts after we finish John in a couple of days. We know that... Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He went out into the, the area in front of the Temple Mount, which is now the Western Wall area, and he preached a sermon and 3,000 people were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter was thrust full into his call and saw amazing fruits. So we, need to re- we just need to remember this and help each other with this and encourage Remember how tender Jesus was with Peter. Because sometimes, folks, the church can be a very judgmental, unforgiving place. And be the first, like they say, the, the only army that kills is wounded. You know, sometimes the church can be a place where it's hard to find mercy and forgiveness. So uh, remember how Jesus deals with someone who is just broken and crushed by their own failure and sin. We are told in Galatians to bear one another's burdens in love so that when bad things happen, we can minister restoration and forgiveness and healing. So I just want to ask you today as we we close, I want to pray for you and ask you, is there any way in your life that because of just discouragement, maybe just how hard this year 2020 has been, the inability to, to... be doing the ministry you wanted to do because churches are closed or you can't gather with others. Just the discouragement of this year and the darkness. Have you gone back fishing in some way? Not necessarily to some big sin, but just gone back to something that was familiar, like attitudes that you know are not of God. Apathy, fear, anger, just discouragement, depression. Have you gone back fishing to your comfortable area of just being down on yourself? You know, just feeling put down and bad about yourself. Have you gone back fishing, listening to old lies that you thought you'd come out of, but now they just seem to be there talking to you again? There's so many things we can go back fishing to. Pride, ego, um, self-sufficiency, wanting to control things when things feel out of control. Maybe that was something that you used to do 
and now you find yourself back just trying to control something because everything feels so out of control. Um, there's a lot of ways you can go back fishing. Maybe you've been trying to just work it all out in your mind. And you just, the more you think, the more confused you get. More anxiety, more stress. And then more fear. Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of the future. What's going to happen? Maybe you've gone back to that. Jesus is showing up on, the, on your beach today. Jesus shows up to minister restoration. And when Peter saw Jesus, even though his mind was still full of all this stuff, he threw himself in the water. So I invite you today and I pray for you to do the same. Don't, don't hide. Don't start paddling the, the opposite direction. Oh no, there's Jesus. He's out to get me. He's out to put me down. Stop letting accusation be a barrier between you and stop feeling disqualified. Stop making excuses. Just throw yourself in the water. Swim to him as fast as you can because he is on your beach waiting for you. Hallelujah. Um, John, would you read us John 5, 1 and 2? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand mm -hmm. and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Would you pray for us in closing, John? Lord, we thank you so much that your grace and your goodness are always available to those who return mm -hmm. with a repentant heart, confessing sins, confessing that we desperately need you. Yes. Trusting in the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection. So God, all those who need to be reminded, God, that your faithfulness still remains today in their lives. Would you remove doubt, discouragement, fear, self-condemnation, lies from the enemy that try to prevent us from running to you, Jesus, yeah. and give us the boldness to just run to you this morning mm. and be restored by your goodness and your mercy. We love you, Jesus. Yes. Bless us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Keep watching because there's going to be more teaching after this. And we'll also see you live tomorrow morning. Um, Pastor Jerry Varnado is going to come and teach from the studio tomorrow. God bless you. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás 
Oh, 